Ciao ragazzi and benvenuto to the second episode of In the Shadow of Vesuvio. Wonderful to hear just there the dulcet tones of Enrico Caruso, the famous tenore di Napoli. And like I'm sure many of the people listening, just like your ancestors, went on that journey from the shadow of Vesuvio over the sea to, to New York to do a lot of his, of his recording. Anyway, we have somebody with just as much dulcet tones as Enrico Caruso. We have Michele Borelli. Ciao. How's it going today? How is Naples? How's Napoli? Hi, everybody. Ciao, Henry. Everything fine, man. When Napoli wins, everything is shiny. Everything is beautiful. Everything is in color. So it's a nice, it's a nice dif- difference compared to last week, which was very gray, very cold. It's actually true, though. It's actually true. This week is very warm, and last week was very cold. It's not, just, it's not just a metaphor. That's actually what's happening here. Napoli See, won, and now spring, spring has come. It has arrived. Pathetic fallacy, as I believe it's known in, uh, in literary studies. So, excellent. So, it is actually sunny, beautiful. It is. What's the temperature? Come on, make, make me feel terrible. I'm sat in the west of Scotland. What's the temperature-ish? No, it's, it's, not, it's not that warm yet, but it's about like 16, 17 degrees Celsius. Which he is says very- it's not that warm. He says it's not that warm. <laughs> 16, 17. That's the stuff of a madman's dreams in Scotland <laughs> in March. Um, Glorious. And as you said last week, you are literally in the shadow of Vesuvia. Um, yeah. Before we get cracking with today, so what's the, what's the news in, in Naples this week? What's the, any, any, what's the, what are, what are people talking about? Well, I mean, obviously it was a huge win against Verona. There was a huge win and uh, everyone's talking about Ozyman, of course. I mean, a brace and uh, he hasn't been scoring that many goals so far. Obviously he's been injured, he, has, he had COVID. Uh, I, I, I can't remember how many braces, of, I, mean, I think he had zero hat-tricks so far. I can't mm. remember how many braces he had, but not many, if it had any. So, yeah, no, we, you know, like we, Napoli, we kind of like the hero, you know, the figure of that play, that one player who comes and fixes everything and uh, scores a lot of goals. You know, we had it in uh, Higuain, we had it in uh, even Quagliarella before Cavani, actually. Cavani, I think, was probably the main one. So far, so we all hope that Osimhen is going to be the next one. He hasn't performed that well to be, you know, Higuain's hair so far. But th- this brace was beautiful, was excellent. It was not hundred percent, you know, alone. He didn't do it alone, obviously. Di Lorenzo and everything. Yeah, but we've oh, about well, that. we're going to be talking about this absolutely later. I have to drop into this list of great Napoli strikers. The guy that I thought was the best footballer in the world when I was nine years old, um, Daniel Fonseca. So he, I, I remember just thinking he was absolutely scored like five goals against Valencia in the UEFA Cup, and I think my PE teacher got a VHS of it, and I and I, I saw it, and still to this day, I think you know Fonseca in my mind was up there with Lionel Messi. So um, okay, well that's good. That's good to hear. Um, so we're gonna. So a little bit later, we're gonna hear from. Uh, Daniel Bowen, who wrote to us, which is great, and said that he was at the game on Sunday. So I spent about 20 minutes chatting to him. So we're going to listen to that in a a, a wee while. But before we start, I just want to say thank you to everyone for all the amazing comments um, from from last week. Um, Michaela, you're you're not quite ready to to listen back to your great work you were telling me beforehand, but you've got to listen to the positive vibes, man. I know, man. I'm just just happy that all the compliments that came, I just, I'm just not ready to hear my own voice. You know, I cringe hard when I hear my, when I hear my own voice, especially when I speak English. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hear about it. I'll hear about it. So far, it has been very positive, very positive comments. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. Very I mean, I, I, I teach theatre, so I, I teach the voice. So I can tell you from my professional perspective, Michele, you are doing very well. So, um, you, okay. So let, let's start by talking about, before we hear from, from Daniel, who was in the stadium up in, up in Verona, the, 
the experience that you had watching the match. And, you know, we were chatting beforehand, and I think this speaks to a more sort of broader cultural thing about Neapolitan football watching. So where did you watch the match? So this time around, I watched it in a, in a friend, at a friend's place. So I was invited for a nice Neapolitan Sunday lunch. And uh, yeah, we enjoyed that. We had a nice Genovese pasta, which was nice and heavy. Now I'm still Good. digesting it, I think. <laughs> yeah. For, for those of you who don't know what a Genovese is, it's, um, despite the name, it's actually a very traditional Neapolitan uh, dish with onions, a lot of onions and uh, lots of beef. So there is no sauce, just onion, beef, and I don't know what else, but yeah, basically those are the main two ingredients. And it's quite heavy, you know, to digest. It's quite good, but heavy to digest. So yeah, that was excellent. Had some tiramisu after that, uh, sausages with fiarelli. You know, it was a very, very big lunch. Oh, and, mate. Uh, yeah, <sighs> we enjoyed it. And uh, th- yeah, after that, we watched the game all together. It was uh, six or seven of us. And uh, yeah, we, we, we got to enjoy those, that, nice, that nice result, which I must say was not expected. At least for me, I, I didn't expect it. Verona was, it is... A really good team. We saw it when they came to Napoli, you know. So we did a, they, they tied against that deservedly. So I, I didn't expect us to, to win there, to be honest. Okay. But Michele, I'm gonna interrupt you very, very rudely because we're gonna talk about the game in a little bit. But I want we've got all these people listening that all they all want to be in Naples. They all want their Genovese pasta, they all want their they want their wine that's made with the, the grapes that have been made you know, from the soil of, of Vesuvia. So I want, to, I want to hear a little bit more. So what, did you have beers? Did you have wine? What was it? And, and how is this important to the experience of watching games that aren't in the stadium, so like away games? And you were saying that actually there isn't a huge culture, in your opinion, of like going to bars to watch football. Like for me in the UK, it's very common to go to the pub to watch the game, uh, which is a relatively new thing. But... Um, but you would say there isn't necessarily as much of that bargain culture. It's more of something you do with your, your friends and your family. Oh yeah, so especially due to the you know the the job I do with the tickets and everything, I get a lot of questions from people saying, you know, sometimes people come to Napoli and they ask me for tickets and I can't help them because the stadium is sold out, for example. So they're still here, they still want to enjoy Napoli and the game, and they ask me. Where can I watch the game in Napoli? Is there a specific place where Napoli fans gather to watch games all together? And I must say, no. You know, there isn't one specific place. You know, the whole the whole city supports just one team, so there isn't a specific bar or restaurant or area, to be honest, where people gather to watch games. You know, uh, my own experience is that people usually watch at home. Of course, there are a lot of restaurants and bars, and where where obviously. The, the game is broadcasted, but there isn't one specific place. So I, I've always watched at home, at home or, um, you know, with, with uh, well, for, for many years, I used to watch with my grandpa. And my grandpa, obviously, you know, used to, he, he lived through the 60s and 70s and the 80s, obviously, Maradona and everything. So I used to go there with my grandpa, his brother, his uh, elder friend too, my my. Uh, my father, who, who was a season ticket holder when Maradona was here, um, and some uncles, uh, like 40, 50 years old uncles. So they, they, all, they all lived the Maradona era. I was the only one who didn't do it. So I was always, you know, watching games. And uh, uh, before, after, and during games, they were always talking about, you know, Maradona this and Maradona that. You know, that's, that's basically been my, my whole life experience. Uh, yeah, for like for basically 30 years, you know, I've heard countless Maradona stories but yeah no so I've always watched at home either my uh, my relatives uh, do you think that's common do you think, that, do you think that's common with, with other, other people in, in, I don't in know Napoli? I don't know anyone who regularly watches uh, outside or like in bars and restaurants I, I do it myself so for example if, if the game is in, on Saturday night I I don't stay at home I go outside I go out and maybe I go to a pub and watch with friends but it's not something we it's not a tradition let's say so the tradition would be to watch at home with family or friends because supporting Napoli here is very much a family tradition so it's okay. you know it's a given that you actually watch with relatives and family you know especially fathers and sons 
so yeah, th there isn't a s one specific place. That's why I was always, uh, I was also, last week when you asked me, where do you watch Napoli, na uh, like Napoli games in Napoli, if not at the stadium? I didn't really know what to answer. Because then again, there isn't one specific place again. It's, uh, it's, everywhere. Okay. it's everywhere. So, so I've got a couple of things to pick up. So I'm really, and there'll be people listening that have seen the new Sorrentino movie, The Hand of God. Now you've told me it's, you haven't seen it yet. So like, in Boca al Lupo to um, Sorrentino for the, for the Oscars in a couple of weeks. And there's, you know, it's not really a, a film about football. I mean, I've actually just written a review for the Gentleman Ultra about it where I'm kind of saying, it really understands being a football fan, but there's all these scenes because it's set in, in Napoli in, in the 1980s of, of, and it's like very autobiographical. And there's lots of scenes with like uncles and aunts and grandparents and extended family all watching the game. But it is Maradona. So you're, you're painting a picture which uh, at least Sorrentino agrees with you. So I think you're in, you're in good company there. And, you, and it also this speaks to the, a tweet that someone sent in after our show. So um, at Tony1926. He's a great guy. He's been with this podcast series for, for years and years and years. So, um, hey, Tony, thanks for reaching out. So he says, I've only been to one game in Naples, and it was the Barcelona game in 2020. Most incredible atmosphere, the stadium, but just full of history and prestige. It was just so special to be there, a night I'll never forget. And then he says, I'm returning to Naples in May, and we'll find somewhere to watch the final game. Any recommendations would be good, though. I'm sure there'll be a million places to watch the game. My plan is to just head to the stadium a few hours before kickoff. So you would say, Michele, that, okay, there'll be some bars that will play it, but probably the majority of people who haven't got tickets might be watching it with their friends and family, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people. So people don't usually go to the Fury Grotta area where the stadium is, watch games. I had to do it once. I only did it once. And it was against, it was actually this season, it was Napoli Leicester. And I was in Farigrotta for other reasons, but I, and I couldn't leave. So I had to watch the game there. And uh, by luck, I just, I, I also met another friend outside the stadium, like just by luck. We didn't, we didn't plan anything. So we went to a, uh, to a pub nearby and watched the game there. The problem with watching the games in, in Farigrotta is that obviously you hear the roar of the stadium. And then after 20 seconds, you watch the television. And you watch Napoli score. So oh, it's, man. it's completely ruined, you know, like, especially if there's a penalty, you know, like, what's the point? Like, the, the stadium celebrates the goal and then you see the penalty gi being given on the television. You know, it's, it's like a, well, not that radical, but it's like a maybe 20 seconds delay, something okay. like that. So people definitely don't go to Furigrotta. I don't recommend going to Furigrotta to watch Napoli games. I think there are, a few places, like in the historic center, you know, there are a few restaurants. I couldn't point to a specific one, but there are a few few restaurants I know, which, uh, especially in the Orientale area, you know, where they, they yeah. just put um, screens outside, um, outside restaurants and pubs and people just sit outside and watch games together. But again, it's, I wouldn't say it's a tradition. Mostly okay. for people to want to dine outside. But this is the great thing about having, having you here to have this, these sorts of conversations. I think actually a lot of people from America and perhaps the UK would come and think, right, let's just head, head to a bar. The, um, but perhaps let's open up out to the listeners. So everyone listening, if, you, if you've been to Naples and you've seen a game in a bar and you've had a good experience or a restaurant and you've had a good experience, please do let us know. Maybe we can, um, we can mention it the next time we gather. Um, okay, so... Thanks for that. Sorry, Michele, it's a curb I know you're desperate to talk about the game, but um, <laughs> I mean, for, for us, this is really interesting for you. It's just like everyday life. Like, I'm just watching a match. Who cares? But actually, it's, uh, we are far from Vesuvius, so it is nice to hear from someone who is in the shadow of Vesuvio um, to talk to us. Now, at this point, before we talk to the game, let's, uh, let's hear from Daniel Bowen, who was, who was there, and he was in the away section. So... The next part of this pod is something that I recorded um, earlier on today with Daniel. And so we'll be back in about 20 minutes. So here we are. Um, very lucky right now to be in the company of one of the most active members of the Napoli cultural community, Daniel Bowen, who's known on Twitter as at Azzurro Bowen. Uh, Daniel, you were at the game on Sunday, right, in Verona? 
Yeah, Henry, how you doing, man? I was at the game. Great. And so before we find out about the uh, the atmosphere in the stadium and talk a bit about, you know, some of the positives and negatives, what's your story, man? So, like, you're, you sound like you're from, you're not from Italy, but you are there. How did you end up being in Italy and how come you're, you're an Apple fan? Oh boy, um, that's a fairly long story. Um, yeah, in a, in a nutshell, I married a uh, a beautiful Regina from Napoli, or more than twenty five years ago. <clears throat> years after that, she took me to uh, the stadium to uh, with her family to see an exhibition game that uh, Maradona was at, just to walk around and say hi to the fans for like the first time in several years. And uh, after seeing all that passion, I started going to games the following year. And uh, I was never into to football, soccer, culture, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, yeah. I got hooked the very next year, man. Because of the fans is what hooked me. And then over, you know, a very short period of time, I just fell in love with the team and, and watching them and supporting them. So, Great. Yeah. So it's actually the actual atmosphere of the stadium. It's so relevant to this show. So it was being there. It was the the sounds, the smells, the blood, the sweat, the tears. That's the thing that made you a a, a Napoli fan. Absolutely, being at live games in the stadium with the fans. Fantastic. And um, and it's great that your your wife is the person. It was the catalyst. You know, in this very sort of male dominated culture of football. It's, it's great that you've got this, this influence that, I mean, not a lot of people are like, my partner got me into football, but that, that fills my heart, man. That's, that's great. So um, you're not based in Naples, though, are you? You're more based in the north of Italy. So perhaps you have quite a sort of understanding of some of the cultural differences between the north and the south, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. But let's focus on the positives. So you were there with the away fans, with the 1,500, mostly from Cordoba, at, right? So who... Who was getting the love from the fans on Sunday? It was a great result. Who, were, who was getting the most love, would you say? Oh, man. By far and away, Victor Oziman was getting the most love from the fans. Um, you know, the, the one thing that's obvious with his play is that uh, his effort, he is 100% full speed the entire time. And, uh, you know, his effort in that game you know, was the reason that uh, that Napoli was able to pull out that win. I mean, went up zero, but, uh, you know, letting that one goal in, I couldn't help but be super nervous. And the uh, the last six minutes of that game in extra time, and it was it was a long six minutes, man. But, uh, yeah, he, he got most of the love. Um, you know, uh, Insignia got some love when he came on. He got a bunch of cheers. Nice. Uh, you know, Cheeto Mertens, who didn't even get in, you know, had some cheers when he was at the end of the game, just keeping himself as fit as possible. He worked out for about 20 minutes. Um, so cheering-wise, th those were the three players that I heard the most cheers for. Okay. Um, really interesting that you say Mertens there. So obviously we're saying on the cultural community, we've got lot, lots of um, people on Twitter saying that we want to see Osimhen and Mertens together. So... So you're saying that even though he wasn't on the pitch, like there was a lot of stuff coming from the Tifosi to, to, to perhaps see him on the pitch. Absolutely. Right. Okay. And what was this, what were the, what were the chance that were, that were keeping you going in those, in those nervy final, final few minutes? What were the, what sort of songs were the, what chants did you hear from the Napoli fans? Oh man. Um, so, I, you know what, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to chants, I haven't really gotten into the chants like uh, like the Ultras and, and everybody yeah. else that supports the Ultras and everything. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, there was one chant that I don't think I heard one time, which was Sado Conde. Sí. That was a little surprising. Maybe they're a little bit uh, um, superstitious and not wanting to, to chant that right now. <laughs> that, would, that would make sense. What, I mean, we all know what that chant really means. And yeah, I didn't hear that one. Um, I didn't hear Il Jona Improviso. I didn't hear that. But um, I think those are chants that are that you hear all the time at home games, not so much for the away games. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, just the normal chants that you hear, David Vinci, David Vinci, David Vinci today, um, Sigonfilade, you know, those type of things, those were said obviously. Can you just translate the last, the last one that you just said for, for those of us listening at home that don't, that don't have Nepalese Oh, yeah, yeah. So David Vinci Day is just the one that they, they, they chant out saying, we need to win. And then the Gonfiladete is the one where they say, hey, we need a goal. Yeah, sure. Fantastic. Uh, well, obviously, I know that because I'm an A2 Italian. I got my Italian class tomorrow. Um, but, you know, other people might not. So, um Okay, so but let let's not be around the bush any longer. So the big the big story from from the game wasn't on the pitch. Unfortunately, it was to do with the despicable uh, behaviour of the of the Verona tifosi. Well, some of the Verona tifosi before the game with the banner, which I, I don't want to talk about too much here. But I'm more interested in what was going on in the stadium. So I think I mean watching on TV and props to Patrick Kendrick, who's the international commentator, fantastic guy, great commentator, and he. He didn't. He didn't hold back. Actually, he put us in the picture at home. Maybe five or six different announcements. Maybe more from the PA to stop the territorial chanting. What was it like being at the other end of that? Um, you know, honestly, uh, it's a little depressing just seeing that um, things can be said and chanted in a football stadium that are so cruel. And and I've seen it before, and it's something that's um that's prevalent in the north, um, against Napoli, and um to see uh, you know Koulibaly have to deal with that all the time, um, you know, Koulibaly is a really good example of the right way to deal with it, the way that he's been dealing with it. But that banner that was outside of the stadium that they actually didn't bring in um was i mean how much worse can you get than what that banner said you know what i mean i mean everybody has probably seen it by now they understand what the message was <clears throat> and um it's just it's just despicable and the fact that the club themselves hasn't really done anything to condemn that banner and the racist chants that were happening um is is just a perfect example of of how things aren't going to change until the league and or the government actually punishes the club where it hurts, which, yep. you know, I don't know what else they can do besides actually start taking away points from their, their standings. I mean, if you do point reductions, the fans are going to stop, especially if it's a team that is trying to fight for uh, Europa League, like Verona has aspirations of trying to get into the Europa League. It's going to be really tough for them to do that where they're at right now. But I'll, I'll tell you what, Henry, um, in the stadium it was bad, but outside of the stadium is where you can really see how things are. And arriving, so I went by myself, um, and uh, I made sure that I wasn't showing any Napoli colors because I really, really understood how bad it was up there. So arriving, um, to be honest, I, I was watching my back the whole time. And uh, when I uh, I got one of them electrical scooters and I was rolling around on that thing. But uh, when I got there, I had to walk around the stadium to get to the other side. <clears throat> and um, just walking through the crowd of the ultras and just seeing them make eye contact with me and wondering who I am. Um, I was a little bit on edge, man, to be honest. And uh, walking, getting to where I needed to go, I uh, I wasn't very. Um, it was a little nerve wracking asking the uh, the law enforcement there. They had police there. Hey, where do I go to get to the uh, the away section? And you know, I'm seeing if anybody's watching me talking to somebody. You know, I was really on edge the entire time. And uh, there was one bar that I walked by, and they had a they had a song that was playing that uh, every Napoli fan knows called Forza Napoli, which is the song that came from the era when they, uh, when they were winning Scudetti and they were, they were singing that song and they were making a mockery of it. And um, that was, that really pinched a nerve with me, but I kept okay. on walking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I kept nice on. 
I mean, I just have to congratulate you on your commitment to the club and your and your bravery. I mean, and also you seem like a guy who can look after himself too. So like, you're not you're not like me. Like I'm a spindly English guy. So if there's any trouble, I'm the other side of it within seconds. So like, so for someone like you to be feeling that way really shows the kind of intensity of the of that. So and you you live in the north, and as you say, your your family, your immediate family is half. Neapolitan in your in your in your in your household, right? So, I mean, we could talk for ten days about this, but what does that cultural difference feel like? I mean, do you experience that outside of football in terms of being in the north, or is it something which is just specific to these footballing rivalries? Would you say? Um, no, I, I I do experience it, and um, so I had heard a lot of things. To be honest, living in the south for so many years of my adult life and you know, Rat really wanted to make a judgment call without actually living in the culture of the North. And um, when I moved here from California to work on the uh, the U.S. Air Force Base here, uh, it was one of the things that I paid attention to because I really wanted to understand if it was true. And yeah, it, it's absolutely true, man. It's, it's almost every time that uh, my dialect comes out a little bit or even an accent from, you know, the way I've learned how to speak Italian from being a Napoli for so many years. More often than not, you know, I, I get that look from people and, you know, and I don't, I'm an American, you know, so it, it's, yeah. I've had other times where I'll be out and about and um, I will run into somebody that is from the South and they will seem like they don't want to really talk in dialect or to be, you know, to be, um, to bring attention to the fact that we're talking because of just how people feel about that. There's a guy in a coffee bar in the uh, city of Pordenone that uh, I went to a few times. And the first time he was all lively, wanting to talk to me and, you know, know my story. And I was talking to him and he's from Caserta. It's, it's, um, it's, it's right next to Napoli. It's, you know, and, uh, you know, so the first time he was all cool, we're talking. Second time, you know, still cool, but a little bit less. And then by the time I went to the last time, he, uh, he didn't want to talk to me at all. And I said, oh, weird. What's going on? You know, and and he pulled me aside when I was getting ready to leave and say, um, you know, my boss has told me I, I can't really be talking to you when you come in because uh, the, the clients are starting to complain that uh, there's Southern Italianers that are in here hooping up and hollering and, and having a good time. and um, that was when I was like, okay, confirmed. There's a problem. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. a, a, incredible, isn't it, to think that in you know, I, the, in the 21st you know, century, you know, this yeah, stuff's you know, still going on. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that one of the big reasons that there is that animosity from the north to the south because it's really not the other way. It really isn't. I haven't noticed that at all. Um, I just think that like a lot of northern Italians are envious of Southern Italianers, of, you know, people from Napoli. And because we just have a, um, I said we, because I feel like I am from Napoli at this point. <laughs> um, we just have a, a happy-go-lucky way to live. Life is life, and we enjoy it. No matter what's going on, we still look at the positive outlook on everything. Um, we're passionate. And then other things like, it's more sunny down there. The food is better. You know, there's a lot of things that are just more about southern Italy than the north. And I think some of that is, I think some of it just stems from being envious of the differences of the cultures. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, it's good that you nearly got in the famous song that was playing when Maradona was juggling the ball in that little anecdote where you said, life is life. <laughs> The, um, yeah. But no, I, I think there's also, so, I mean, this is a big, there's also some very unpleasant politics, uh, separatist politics as well that's going on in, in both the North and other places. But I think that's for, for a different podcast. But that, I mean, it's so interesting to hear the specific, like, lived experience that you've had of not really been able to speak it. I mean, we're going to talk about it on the show in more detail. But for me, the thing that it really smacks of the Verona, particular banner, is just an immense privilege. And what a sheltered life you must lead to think of the, you know, 1.75 million refugees coming out of Ukraine, 
the images of maternity hospitals being bombed, the disgrace, just unbelievable to then think, oh yeah, I'm going to use that as a way to maintain a, a petty footballing rivalry that's got absolutely nothing to do with it. I think it's absolutely pathetic and it shows a sheltered, um, precious life and it shows an absolute disdain for, for humanity, really. And that probably sounds a bit extreme, but it's like, just, just grow up. I mean, come on. Anyway, so... I mean, Daniel, it's so good to meet you. And it's really good to hear your story. And, you know, we haven't got a huge amount of time because we're, we're both working. Um, but um, it would be great to get you back on properly so we can hear a bit more about your experiences. It sounds like, you know, you've had quite a life and it really feels like you've been adopted by the city. And actually, I'm currently writing an article. I'm writing an article for the Gentleman Ultra, really, about this phenomenon, about people like Colobani and, and Maradona and... Um, Luis Vinicio, who, who, Vinicio sorry, who, who come in and are adopted. So you are, you are in a long, long tradition, it seems. So anyway, we'll have to have you on properly and we can have a, have a proper chat. But is there any, any last thing you want to say before we, before we um, finish up today? Uh, the only thing is that, um, you know, for all the Tifosi out there that are um, still not on board with believing in Scudetto, stop it. Stop it right now because this is the year. I'm telling you, this is the year. And if we don't take advantage of it this year, it might be a good minute before we can contend again, depending on how the team does with turnover next year. And um, if you're, if you haven't been to the stadium yet, um, you need to get your butt there. We need to sell out every single home game. We need to sell out every single away game in the away section because uh, the club needs our support. Um, I'm, I'm telling you what happened at Verona. Uh, some of that had to do with their drive and determination with the fans that were there. The players need the fans. Oh, yeah. And we saw that. Even against Milan, those opening 15, 20 minutes, there was that real drive that came from the full stadium. And I have to say that even on the telly, we could hear you guys. So keep, keep the sport up over there. I'm doing my best from my sofa in Scotland, which I know you probably can't hear, but I am doing my best. Um, and thank you so much for your time. And, you know, please, please send lots of love to your, to your family and your wife from the uh, Far From Vesuvius Network and the In the Shadow of Vesuvio podcast. And... Let's have you back, man. Fortunately, Sempre. Sempre. Thank you, Henry. And welcome back. I mean, how great was it to hear from Daniel? And I hear that you've actually had the chance to hang out with him in the past, Michele. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, I met him a couple of times. I actually got him the ticket for the Verona game. So yeah, I was involved with it. <laughs> yeah, and I think he's, yeah, <laughs> he's from the beginning. Yeah, he's also planning to go to Atalanta. That's what he told me. So yeah, he travels a lot. He's a very nice guy. He always goes to the Distinti uh, for most games. I think he attended most more games than me this season. He's a he's a hardcore Napoli fan. I, I really that. really enjoy chatting to him. I'd love I'd love to get him back. And such an interesting life. And you know, as we were saying, that he's been sort of adopted by. The cheetah, and you know he's he's not the first, and he's not going to be the last. So let's let's talk about the game, and let's maybe start with the the more difficult stuff, and then we can we can celebrate the team a bit, a bit later. But yeah, we talked about it last week about the rivalry between a lot of people have already talked about the chance and the banner. But you know, from your experience, Michele, how how did it feel hearing those chants when you were when you were watching the game, surrounded by your your friends and family from Naples? You know, unfortunately, we're used to it, I would say. And uh, it's one thing hearing chants from Napoli. I mean, when you are in Napoli watching the game on television, it's another thing hearing the chants at the stadium. As Daniel said, you know, you can actually feel the tension when you're there. You know, that's why, that's why attending away games for Napoli, with Napoli, it's not for everyone. Because unfortunately... Uh, that's kind of the welcome we get in most places we travel to. So I've, I've traveled myself to a lot of, a lot of uh, Italian cities to watch Napoli. Italian cities which are perfectly fine. You know, I've been to Verona many, many times because I used to live very close to Verona. 
but not very close, but I used to live in the general area. I lived there for a couple of years, so I've watched the game there, and I've been to Verona like three or four times, actually. It's a lovely city, I love it. Uh, not as beautiful as Napoli, of course, but it's a very nice town, a very nice Where place. Is? So yeah, so it's uh, so you know I enjoy walking around Verona, but when we play Verona and Kievo, well, when when Kievo was still alive, you know you can feel the tension. You know it's really tense. You know it's it's not that nice. I've I've had uh, I've had uh, similar experiences in Bologna. Um, in yeah, you were Florence. saying you actually you actually got hit by an umbrella. I got hit. Bologna. Yeah, I got hit. You know I was I was walking around the stadium to go to the. Well, I mean, I was attending the homestands, but I was still working outside the stadium. I was doing nothing at all. And then one guy, I still don't know how, I think he, he must have recognized my accent. One guy, uh, it was, it was uh, after the turnstiles, actually. It was, he was kind of like half inside the stadium. So he, he recognized me. He recognized I was a Napoli fan. And uh, he just started shouting abuse at me. You know, he started shouting stuff like, you know, you stink. Uh, go back to Napoli, welcome to Italy, you, you must die, like very ferocious stuff, you know. And uh, yeah, I turned, I turned to him, I looked at him, I kept walking and then for some reason it's, I, I gave my back to him and then he started running and he hit me with an umbrella, me and my friend, you know, we did nothing at all, we just, it just, got, we just got hit by this guy, it was so great, I guess it was drug, I have no idea, you know, but it was definitely not alone. And then yeah, they, separate, they separated us. But yeah, I had the same, I had a worse experience inside the stadium once I got in. Not physically oh, hit, but I had a guy right behind me shouting for like I, I swear twenty minutes, non-stop shouting. He was standing alone behind me, shouting in, in the general direction of the away stand. You know, like so much abuse, man, so much abuse. And uh, yeah, finally we moved after 20 minutes. We moved a little bit to the side, closer to the away section, and Napoli won the game. So that was that made me very happy. But it's serious, you know. It's serious, and uh, we get a lot of abuse, which is not just about you know joking about you know you support Napoli, I support Verona, I want to beat you. No, it's very it's something deeper. It's a deeper issue, which reflects on football, but unfortunately, it's something which is born in today's society it's also about football but not just about football. yeah and i think it was interesting hearing you know what you said and what and what daniel said that i think what can be quite difficult for people outside of italy to understand is how important language is to this so you know in daniel's example you know the, that cafe worker was told to stop speaking in neapolitan and like you were saying that maybe the guy recognized your accent or whatever and there is this idea of some people are like, oh, it's a bit like the north and the south of England, or it's a bit like the north and the south of the United States of America. I, mean, I suppose it is a bit, but it's what's fundamentally different is the, the linguistic difference is huge, and language is so important to culture, isn't it? I mean, my, my, my partner's from central Sardinia, and even there, like almost like village to village, the language is different, and it can highlight you as, as not from around that place. And um, so what can, what can we do about this, man? Like... You know, I've got something to say about this, but I, I want to hear what, what, what you think first. So what, let's, you know, you've done a really good job of highlighting what happens. Do you think anything could be done about this? Like, what, what would you say? This is an issue which has been going on for, for uh, a lot of time, you know, a long time, you know, uh, like even like 100 years or something, you know, because Italy is actually a young country. Italy was unified in uh, 1861, so it's not that long ago. And uh, obviously, that's why we have different languages. We have different accents. Uh, they vary a lot. You know, I, I, I lived in Udine for two years, and uh, they have their own language there. You know, they have Friulano. When they speak Friulano, for me, it might as well be, you know, Chinese. I understand nothing when they speak. And when I speak in Napolitan, they understand nothing at all. So, yeah, the language divide is huge. Obviously, we all speak Italian, and that's a given. But how to solve this? Uh, you know, it would be kind of fun if I came here to solve this problem <laughs> after 150 years of, of it being <laughs> existing. I'm not expecting it's very, it's, it's, it's a No, it's a, difficult, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult problem. Obviously, a difficult problem. Obviously, it generates from ignorance a lot. You know, it's prejudice. It's, uh, it's just discrimination. It's, I mean, I wouldn't say racism because I wouldn't say we are different races, but it's very close to it. You know, in Italian... Hmm. 
in Italy they call it territorial discrimination, yeah. which I think is the correct way to to, to identify it. It's uh, obviously it's really really hard to to fix it again. When you meet these people, they are usually people who haven't traveled a lot. You know, a lot of people who hate Napoli are people who haven't never been to Napoli, and uh, that's ignorance. And ignorance in the sense that they ignore what Napoli is. They ignore what uh, Neapolitans are. You know, every time I I go to the north of Italy and I hear them telling, you know, like discriminatory uh, things about Napoli about Neapolitans to my face. They always say, oh, you know, but you are different. And I'm not different. I'm just, I'm just the only Napolitan guy you know. That's why you say that. You're yeah. just generalizing about a culture you know nothing about. So I guess, obviously, it's not an easy solution, but educating people about differences and uh, ident- identifying value in those differences instead of, you know, actually, um, actually uh, criticizing them and uh, being scared of them. It's something that could help in this direction, but it's it's really hard. I love, and... I love what you just said, identifying value in the differences. And I think that get, gets lost sometimes in some of this discourse because people think in order for everyone to get on, everyone has to be the same. But I don't think that's true at all. It's about actually understanding difference and being interested in it and allowing it to happen and to you know live together on that. I think diversity. Diversity is a value. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I'm gonna so in my professional life I'm a I'm a lecturer of theatre and a lot of what I do is about theatre for change. Okay. And I've worked with a variety of different organizations, particularly one called Yesterday, Today, Tomorrow. And and what we do, this is relevant, everyone, please stay with me, is that I work, you know, with this organization to use theatre to build empathy between people in order to reduce discrimination. So we, we deal with the personal narratives of refugees and asylum seekers. But I've recently been working with the War Childhood Museum in Sarajevo, working on, on peace building workshops. And what I've learned, you know, over the years of working this way, is that there's, there's two things, two places you have to work. You have to go to the source, you have to go into the education system. You have to work with, with young people because that's where often, I mean, if you look at what's going on in, in, in Bosnia, there are, there are still some segregated schools and things like that. So you have to get into that education system but you also have to work with people who are prejudiced and you have to try to build empathy now this is what i think needs to happen now in the uk football clubs are pretty good with like community outreach and stuff like that i think the clubs need to work together to create a whole education program that goes into schools you know i think it's so important and i think people talk about points deductions i agree fines i agree stating mass are fine but let's actually get the fogc to get a bunch of people together and there are experts out there that can come up with an education policy that you do for eight-year-olds, for 14-year-olds, for 18-year-olds. And, and they've got the money. The clubs have got the money. You've got to get in there at source. And I know it's going to take a while, but if you get in there, you know, when people are young, the power of education means that that might make a difference in the future. And, you're, okay, you're always going to have a few idiots. And if you've said, Michele, you've had some great times in Verona. My Italian teacher is from Verona and I talk about being a Napoli fan and she's super cool about it. You know, there are, there are people, but I personally think we've got to get to source and I think it needs some creativity. It doesn't just need to be, um, we have to find people, ban people. Of course that will help, but let's think bigger. Let's get some creative minds in. And if you're listening, Celia, I'm cheaper than you might think. <laughs> it's not just um, about punishment. It's about education. I agree about that. Also, because if I may, uh, punishing clubs or what fans do, uh, it's not always productive. There is a reason why they don't find clubs that much, you know. It's because some fans actually t- took advantage of it when it was more, more common in the past. So just uh, think about that, you know. Uh, I'm an old trust who wants free tickets from the club. Actually, Juventus was involved with this. So uh, I go to the club and say, you know, give me free tickets. The club says no. Uh, and then I say, okay, if you don't give me free tickets, I'm gonna I'm gonna chant so much racist stuff for the yeah. next game that you're gonna get fined for millions. So either give me, you know, a 200 euros worth of free tickets, or you're gonna pay, you know, 200 thousand euros of fines because I'm gonna chant with my with my group very racist chants. Unbelievable. That, that's Absolutely how they threaten clubs, you know, and that's why it's not always nice. It's not always uh, wise actually to call on fines for clubs, you know. Because it's yeah. again, they are also the victims here. They could be the victims here. 
Juventus, as much as I hate Juventus, they were actually the victims. Um, okay. Because stuff like this happened until two or three years ago. And you have to also put all this in a political climate in Italy, which is incredibly divided, isn't it? Yeah. And you, you have people like Matteo Salvini, the head of Lega, you know, who, whatever you think of his politics, specializes in, in creating division amongst people. Um, and it does seem to be quite a generational divide in Italy at the moment, isn't it? You know, I see things like Manuskin and Mahmoud and, you know, what they're doing in terms of their identity and what they're doing and, and the, the hate crime legislation that kind of didn't, didn't get voted through. And I think, and the reaction, the huge reaction against that, mostly from the younger generation. So, I, you know, Michele, am I just being optimistic? I do think there is some hope in this, this generation, your generation, the generation beneath yours, who are actually more, more open-minded, more progressive, that perhaps this could be a generational thing that, you know, if they, if they keep at it, might we might see the end of but i don't know am i being optimistic no no i agree i agree i mean things are slowly getting better that's for sure uh but yeah we're still there's still a long way to go that's for sure. okay well that, that was great and uh, you know let, let's keep checking back in with this stuff because unfortunately it will probably happen again even before the end of the season so but let's now talk about football so michaela you said last week you said you want us to go to four three three because you don't think 4-2-3-1 is working. Now, Luciano, thank you for listening. And I'm sure you're listening again today. Is, is there anything, Luciano, you can send in that we, you would like to thank Michele for that? You know, maybe you can reply after this. So how does it feel to be completely 100% right, Michele? It's good, you know? It feels good. It feels good. When, when I saw the lineup and I saw a 4-3-3, Ah, I was so happy, so relieved, you know, that, okay, finally, we are going to try to play football. Obviously, it's not as simple as this, you know, if, if playing a 4-2-3 gave guaranteed wins, you know, we will always play 4-3-3. That's not as simple as that. But I do think, I did think, and I still think it helps. And it did. So, yeah, I'm quite happy about it, you know. I actually liked it. I like the attitude. I like how they played. Uh, I really like the midfield. For once, you know, Osimhen wasn't as isolated as he was before, as he was against Milan, Inter, Barcelona. I do think that uh, Anguissa and Fabian actually helped a lot. The wingers helped a lot too. And uh, it was a brave choice by Spalletti, actually. Of course, he had to wait for me to say it first, but it was a brave choice just to, to, to put Insigne on the bench. It was a brave choice to put Zieliski on the bench. You know, it wasn't easy, and uh, he did it. And I think we weren't perfect. But winning in Verona is not easy. It's not easy. I think Juventus lost in Verona, actually, this season. And they've beaten so many of the big teams. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's a fortress. I mean, it's it a is. very ugly, ugly stadium, as, as Patrick Hendrick pointed out so brilliantly on the, on the English commentary. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you were right. We've got some, some tweets here. This is from, I think this is from John Culver. Hi, John. Another guy that's always... You probably sorted him out tickets, so I should imagine. But, like, the... Um, it says, great pause. Perhaps I had to mention that. There we go. Uh, giving it a listen and agree a lot. Agree that Zelensky needs to be playing a little deeper. Remember when Visa came in and it was such a revelation having the three of him, Fabian and Zelensky, playing so close together. The lovely interplay. One, two is progressing the ball upfield. So, yeah. And then, you know, your wish happened. And it was interesting that you had Lobotka sitting in front of the defence and you had Fabian and Ongisa kind of in, in parallel. It was what what Ruth yeah. Hillett would call an upside-down triangle. And as the game progressed, Fabian did come forward, but they kind of took it in turns, didn't they? Fabian and Anguissa to, to move forward. And they've both got skills on the ball. Like, Anguissa is a very underrated dribbler, right? And, yeah. you know, he, he got us out of our seats a few times. That wonderful moment when Mario Re hit the bar. Uh, can you remember that yeah. build-up? There must have been, like, 20, 30 passes building up to it. And again... Anguissa was passing in that, but also did some very important sort of moves on the ball to, to get, get past the man. So, yeah, but you're right. And actually, Art Morelli, who's a great guy on Twitter, he pointed out that, you know, a bit like what you were saying, you know, we don't need to play this every week, but having different options is always helpful, right? So, like, there'll be a time to go back to 4-2-3-1, but perhaps this against some of the more trickier games, I think is absolutely worth it. Now, I want, I want your opinion on this. This is from another listener, Gavin Wilmot. Was this our best performance of the season? No. I don't think so. 
where he says, excluding the five-star hammering from early on at Udine, Samp or Lazio, in consideration of what a draw or defeat would have meant to the rest of our campaign. Again, I don't think it was a particularly brilliant game. It was a, it was a good game. It was a difficult game, and we played well, and we played tactically. It was very good, and uh, the motivation was there. Everything was there. I wouldn't say it was a perfect game. Um, who knows what would happen if, if I don't remember what the play, who the player was, but they got a red card right after they scored their goal, you know, Verona. So yeah. they were... Yeah. We were suffering there, you know, and Napoli actually suffers a lot in the last minutes of, of, of the second half. Uh, yeah, someone, I, so, I someone was, was saying that, that the fact that we're um, only, if, only going up sort of 1-0 or having those one-goal advantages means that um, it, was, it was Patrick Kendrick, the, the English commentator, was saying on the, on the Raf and Raf rant that that makes a big difference that you're playing right to the end with that anxiety. Whereas he thinks that the team that's going to win the Skeleton is the team that's going to start to win by two or three goals in these games. So they can have those 23, 20, 30 minutes at the end of the game where they can just slightly switch off. But you're right, there was that really nervous tension where those last six minutes were nail-biting. You know, I, thought, I was afraid it was going to be another Sassuolo Napoli, you know? We went two up and then, yeah, we know what happened after that. But yeah, I was really afraid of it. And so the, the, the red card came right, the, right at, the, at the right moment for us and the wrong moment for them. It was the worst possible moment to get a red card for them. They were actually building up for, for another goal. But no, we were good. We were good. I wouldn't say it was the, our best game of the season. Uh, we had some good games, especially at the beginning of the season. But it was a very, a very solid, I would call it, performance. It was a solid performance. It gives us a lot of confidence. Especially because it came after the very bad Milan Milan loss, and after a, like a month or two of very bad per- performances in general. So I really hope we can see it again against against Sudanese this quarter three because it was really interesting. Lobotka, you know, I've been calling for this exact lineup for for months now. You know, Lobotka playing right where Jorginho used to play, and uh, yeah. Angisa being our Alan basically, and uh, Fabian Ru- Fabian Ruiz being our Amsic. Fabian Ruiz or Zielinski. See, and so like, let's think ahead to to Udinese. We're going to talk about who people are talking about in Naples, but you've already said that that Ossiman is the is the name on everyone's lips. Um, and I will, let's talk about Di Lorenzo next time we we chat because I do think it would be fun to give give that man some love. Great, great game, great game. He's just always there, you know. If my Bill House was on fire. I'd he'd be my choice to come running in to, to carry me out because he's he can just rely on him anyway. Um, so you would keep it the same for the Udinese again. You you wouldn't bring back Zelinski or and it's interesting. Daniel was talking about how much people are missing Mertens. I would keep it the same in terms of lineup, in terms of forty-three formation. I wouldn't. I would still change the players. So I, okay. I do still think that Zieliski can play a midfield. He's great at midfield. He's not great as Trequartista behind Osimhen, in my opinion. I do think that Insigne can play there. I don't think Lozano had a very good, good game uh, against mm-hmm. Verona. I don't think he played that well. I, mm-hmm. I would like to see Insigne there again. I agree. And when he came on, it was so interesting like how much he created straight right, yeah. away. Exactly. And he tries things. That's right. like, he's always trying things. And like... Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on with Chucky Lozano, to be honest, mate. Like, I don't know. I don't want to. I know there's a lot of very strong opinions about Lozano within the community, so I don't want to start <laughs> a, an argument that I can't finish. Okay. Um. Briefly, Chiro Mertens. Where would you like to see? Would you, do you want to see more of him, or do you think? Do you think we're all right? No, he has a lot to to give. Still, you know, I still, I, I unfortunately, I don't think he's gonna his contract is gonna get renewed. So this is the last uh, few games we are seeing. Of Mertens in Napoli, and that's sad. That's sad. Don't say a lot. that. Please don't say that again. Yeah, I'm not ready for this. You know, if I know the Laurentiis, I don't think it's going to give him a, a new contract, especially now that Mertens is slowly losing his importance in the team. Um, I, you know, I still think he can play. I mean, the only the only position he can give is 100% right now is in Ozyman's position. I yep. do think he's going to play, especially because now Petania is dead. So, what an idiot. What just come on, dude? Like yeah, getting injured after so unlike, so unlikely, so unlikely. But or yeah, unprofessional, think... depending on how you look at it. Like you should, you should come onto the pitch ready to play. I think. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not a big fan of 
but uh, yeah. he's obviously a nice guy though i like him as a person but um anyway okay well let's see um so before we we wrap things up we need to come to our kind of regular items so we've got we've got a few things in for our neapolitan word of the week some of this isn't so family friendly so those of you that are listening with your small neapolitan exactly are the best ones so cover your small neapolitan children's ears so in fact uh daniel bowen he his neapolitano word this week is confaskif confaskif yeah there's three words though (laughs) so how would you how would you translate that it sucks sucks a lot confaskif but it's three words so yeah daniel is, is cheating here yeah, you're cheating, Daniel, but we love you. But that, you're cheating. And Luca Lanini, who, again, is very involved and I really enjoy his interactions. He says, my favourite Neapolitan word is lotta, meaning something <laughs> filthy. Um, yeah, let's say that, yeah. Let's say like, means that, yeah. And his example is, si napoletano e tifi juve, e che lotta. Yes. How was that? So, I apologize. That, that was that was good. That was good. That was good. Lota, Lota, you know, it's uh yeah, it's Iguain, for example. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a filthy thing, it's much worse than that. It's a it's a bad word profanity, it's bad it's a bad word in a volism, but it's so you have to keep not, that in your back pocket. You shouldn't be saying that every day when you're No, definitely not, you know, but when you when you talk about football, you can definitely use that, you know. That's uh there's a nice banner they show to Iguain when he when when he joined Juventus, obviously, he came to Napoli for the first time uh, playing against us. There was a huge banner with his shirt in the, you know, black and white Juventus shirt with his name and the number 71 under his name, which in the, in the Napolitan Tombola means Om and Merd, which is, which is, well, let's say Lota in this, in this, yeah. Uh, yeah, in this example. It's just like, yeah, despicable the, the men, let's say that, you know. Okay, yeah. Man of, I love it, I love it. Yeah, men of, but, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so there's some, some great contributions. Please do contribute people who are listening. Hashtag in the shadow. It's mostly clear that hashtag. There are some sort of like 17-year-old poets writing like emotional songs that are like, in the shadow. <laughs> but I can... I mean, I can... Maybe they want to participate in the podcast too. You yeah. know? <laughs> I'll have to read out some of their terrible poetry next week. But what would... Um, what, what, what word would you use to sum up the week that, that you've had in, in Naples, Michele? What, what Neapolitan word would you use? So, yeah, you I had. Think, yeah, I think we should start from the basics. And one of the most common words, and it's funny because it's been, it's now becoming famous in Italian too. So they actually use it in the Italian television, you know, Italian people using it as well. It's Katsima. I don't know if you've heard it. It sounds Katsima, bad. Katsima, yeah. It's, yeah it's, not, it's not bad. It's not that bad. It sounds bad, but it's actually a normal word, which means. It's hard to translate, but it's basically being aggressive, you know, knowing what you want and getting it, uh, fighting okay. for it. So when, you, when you're aggressively pursuing a goal, that's, that would be Katsima. That, that, it has other meanings too, but let's use it in that way. Great. And, you know, what a way to end, because if we need something from our team, Michele, it's Katsima. Katsima, a lot of it, a lot of it. And I just want to say before we, we wrap up, you know, Udinese game, very important. I just want to say yeah. that uh, the ticket sales started yesterday and it's almost, uh, you know, it's selling really fast. So the stadium is going to be full again, I guess, Udinese, which, which I, would, I, I didn't expect. I didn't expect. I've been, I, I, I do get tickets, but I didn't expect it because it's, you know, the, the game against Milan was really disappointing. So I kind of expected Napoli fans to detach themselves from the team a little bit. Sure. But the, yeah, the stadium is going to be, well, 75% capacity, but it's going to be full again, which is not something that happens a lot in Napoli. So, you know, it's a, it's a great sign. And I think the team is going to be very happy about it. I mean, that's a great way to end. And like, absolutely. I think that we can really feel that there's something in the air. And as, as, as Rafa said this week, like just the fact that we're in the conversation makes such a difference to just getting behind a team. It feels like this is a moment in in Napoli's history that we're going to talk about for years to come. So, yeah. Uh, are you going to be in, in Curva B, Michele, on Saturday? Of course. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear all about it. Thank you again. Um, always great to talk to you. Um, any questions that anybody has for Michele about anything, 
please do get them over to us. Um, and again, thanks for all the support. Please keep it coming. And thanks once more to, to Daniel Bowen for, for phoning in. That was a really, really cool chat. So everybody take care in the meantime. And Forza Napoli. Sempre. Bye, guys.